Shamai hello, my name is Sam Cook, the TV writer at Wales Online, and welcome to this podcast. Over the course of the next half an hour, we'll be hearing from some of this country's biggest stars, from where they got their big break, to struggles that they may have faced along the way. Today, we'll be putting weather presenter, drumathon hero and new star of BBC Radio 2, Owain Wynne Evans, in the spotlight. Owain Wynne Evans, hello, how are you doing? Um, as always, it's great to see you. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. It's been a while, hasn't it? I feel like the last yeah. time we chatted was the Freeze the Fear days, and it's been quite a few months now. Quite, In fact, actually, we're in a new year. Yeah, we are. So we recorded Freeze. Oh, my gosh. So it was January 22. Yes. So, you know, it all just was absolutely bonkers because before Freeze, I had no idea what Freeze was going to look like because we'd never seen the show before. I remember telling you this before. And then since Freeze, it's just been as bonkers as it was before then. So, yeah, it's all go. I think we're all needing to use some of Wim Hof's techniques right now, considering how the weather has literally dropped to Baltic temperatures. I find myself almost like trying to trying to sort of, you know, slow breathing, all that type of thing. And actually, I tried cold water swimming since we spoke. Oh, did you? It, it's excellent. Great. See, I was a bit of a sceptic with it. Uh, I'll, mm. I'll be honest. And then as soon as I got in the water, I was just like, this is mad. Oh, it's amazing. And, you know, it changed my life, that show. And I had no idea that it was going to do such a thing. And even now, you know, people will come up to me almost every day to either talk about the drumathon or freeze. They're like the two main things that people, obviously, there's the weather and, you know, the presented stuff. But as far as things that people are really interested in, there was something about Freeze the Fear that just captured people's kind of imagination because it's a thing that we can all do safely, obviously. And I'm thrilled to hear that you've had a couple of, um, you know, run-ins with the cold water. How have you found it? I went into it thinking that although there are some people who this will be beneficial for, I thought, I don't think I'm the type of person that would work for. But we uh, we went down swimming uh down Barry one 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 evening and nice, I thought I thought oh you know it's fairly cold weather already I thought this is this is not a good idea this isn't great and then you got in there <laughs> and apart from that initial sort of oh like that shock factor oh yeah you it's like your body feels immediately calmer afterwards and you walk away and you're like you, you feel great about yourself yeah it is it's all about that it's about you know taking a thing that conventionally most people would think of as being unpleasant because I don't think anybody likes being cold. You know, we we wrap up, we put things on, we have a hot shower for a reason. But then taking that element of it away is just something that you don't expect that will help you. But I don't know what it does. I think for me, the cold water exposure and, you know, all the stuff we did at the end of the show as the episodes run on, things like swimming under ice, and, you know, jumping off that bridge. Sam, never in a million years, honestly, never in a million years would I have thought that I would have done those things because I'm scared of water, don't like the cold, don't like heights. And yet the breathing techniques and the things that we, as the eight who took part in it, were taught during the filming of the show are still things that I use on a daily basis. And it's just incredible. 
And you mentioned the eight people who who took part. When you were actually watching the show, you all had this remarkable bond and really looked like you were you were getting along. Um, have you managed to get, uh, keep in touch with these people? Oh my gosh, absolutely, darling. We're still on a WhatsApp group together. I've seen Tamsin, I've seen Diane, I've seen Gabby a couple of times since then. And, you know, we I speak to Patrice regularly. I was speaking to him Christmas time, actually. And, you know, there's a thing which is quite weird in this world. You, you kind of, you end up meeting a lot of people a lot of the time, you know, and you kind of make friends with people or you see somebody once and you see them at an event and you might see them when you're filming something else. But I think with that, because we were all thrown into this situation that was, you know, at times pretty scary, we kind of naturally became very close, not only because we were living together, but because we were going through these very weird things every single day. So, you know, the bond I've got with people like Diane, for example, it, it was just so lovely. And and to come out to something like that, having made actual friends, you know, not just, oh, you're my friend, never see you again. You know, real friends is just lovely. Yeah, fabulous. What was lovely to see on the show was how much you all opened up to each other about these quite difficult stuff and, and personal stuff. Mm. Um, you you talked about the fact that you do struggle with anxiety and um, that's becoming more and more common that people are opening up about that to not probably not as common as it needs to be, but uh, mm. it was, it was great to see. So kind of talk to us a little bit about that uh, anxiety battle that you, that you've had because you're, you're front and centre, you're on the camera all the time. Somebody might look at you and maybe not think that you would struggle with something like that. So talk to us oh, about yeah. where, where, where that began. I think it began when I was growing up in Ammonford and I had a very happy childhood, you know, um, have a wonderful family. But growing up as a young gay man in Ammonford during the 1980s, you know, it was a very different time and things have moved on so much there now. And, and you know, it's lovely to go back to Ammonford and see how much it's changed because home is is always going to be home I think and now obviously I'm living back in Wales ahead of my new Radio 2 show so it's nicer to be closer to home but at the time I just felt like I didn't really belong there you know I didn't fit in in so many ways there was the fact that I was a young gay man and at the time, you know, there were no role models. There was no visibility as far as that was concerned. So I felt like I was literally the only one. And then, of course, with the drumming coming along then, what was lovely about that was is that it became one of the few tools, if you like, that I had to help with my anxiety because I couldn't tell anyone how I was feeling, you know, about the fact that I was gay. But what I could do was use things that I enjoyed to try and, I suppose, manage it. And the drumming definitely became a thing that I would always turn to. It was this companion that was always there. And my first drum kit, you know, my red Pearl Export drum kit that my parents bought for me secondhand was just like, oh my gosh, I can't describe what it was like when I, they, they'd wrapped it up in <laughs> wrapping paper, you know, one Christmas. And, Sam, a drum kit is very hard to wrap. I can imagine. That's you know, the first thing I was thinking in my head. Like, how long did that take them? How do you wrap it? How do you wrap it? I think they just wrap different bits of it. And um, it was just like this 
when I saw the drum kit and then started playing it and learning this new thing, it was just this amazing kind of release of feelings and emotions that I'd kind of built up over the years. And I guess I was quite a lonely child as well. You know, I, I've got I've got a handful of friends who I was friends with back in the school days, but I was never one to be massively social. And actually, my social anxiety has been a thing that has, believe it or not, returned a lot over the years. Even when I went into freeze, when I didn't know all those people, you have this thing with social anxiety where you feel like you could be, you know, the most kind of, uh, I don't know, outgoing person ever when the kind of environment is right. But sometimes, you know, that can be literally whipped away from underneath your feet and you then feel yourself going back into your shell. I've got ways of managing that now, but you still get that feeling every now and then. For me, that's what it was like growing up, I guess. I knew I kind of wanted to be able to be myself, but unfortunately, I was unable to be myself a lot of the time. You touched on drumming there and how that was so helpful for you in managing anxiety which I think is really interesting because on a previous episode of this podcast uh, I was chatting to the actor Richard Mylan and he said to combat his anxiety he used acting and I think that the more and more people you chat to the more you realize that they do have these kind of creative outlets to to tackle what they're going through inside I imagine you've experienced this firsthand oh hundred percent it's a really similar thing and one of the things that I found about the drumathon when I had the idea of doing something to raise money using the drums I thought yeah you know we'd play the drums for a bit and you know see how long I can play the drums for never would I have imagined that not only would that have ended up raising nearly four million quid and like breaking records and whatever but also I would never have been able to imagine how many people <laughs> it kind of touched in a way and how many people came up to me and said that they'd started drumming or their child had watched the drumathon and no that that person wants to become a drummer and I always tell them you know whenever I meet these lovely people who enjoyed the drumathon and watched it I, I always kind of say how beneficial drumming is and that it can it's something that we can all do you know, we've all got, we don't all have to be amazing drummers. We can all like clap our hands. You can all, we can all tap something. We've all got some kind of sense of rhythm. So I think that it's a very accessible instrument as far as that goes as well. And yeah, has helped me 100%. The drumathon itself was so popular and everyone was talking about it at the time. Like, I remember vividly kind of talking to people about this thing. Did you ever expect that it would reach that level of popularity? Oh, no way. No way would I have thought. Because when when I thought of the idea of the drumathon, you know, it went through lots of different kind of hopes as these things do, I suppose, in TV. And Aaron and I, my husband Aaron and I were chatting about it. And I remember Aaron telling me one day, just after... It was just after BBC Breakfast had kind of decided to take it on board. Richard Frediani, the editor of Breakfast, great guy, amazing news editor, but also has got a great kind of view on what the audience kind of wants, almost as far as entertainment is concerned as well. 
And after Freddie said, let's do this, I remember Aaron saying to me, can you imagine if you were to raise like a million quid? And I remember saying, no way, 250 grand. That was my total. You know, I was like, if I raise that, that's, you know, that's still the, the price of a lot of, that's a couple of houses, you know, that's something that, and if you break that down into what the charity would have done with it, then that is a load of people who can be helped. But 3.8 million quid was never on my kind of radar, which I think is why the drumathon became so emotional for me as, you know, as we approached the end and beyond that. I, I cried every day for about two weeks afterwards. It was just, <laughs> it was so emotional. Was it daunting when the initial idea came up? The idea mm. of drumming for that long, when you yourself have said that you would do it as a hobby, as something that's casual, as something that you'd use as an outlet to tackle your mental health. Doing that for that amount of time must have been quite scary. Oh, yeah, it was, because before then, I suppose the longest I'd played the drums for would have been, you know, kind of two 45-minute sets. And that was when I was in my cover bands back in Ammonford with the boys I went to school with and all their friends. And, you know, you, you'd end up like probably smashing the drums in these rugby clubs, you know, until my hands would bleed. And that would happen every Friday. But then to, to kind of play for 24 hours is totally something else. And there's a great guy, uh, Professor Greg White, who looks after all of the children in need, cha- sort of challenges, if you like. And he became my mentor alongside Mark Richardson, who's the drummer of Skunk and Nancy. Mark was a huge part of the drumathon because he basically made all of the cogs turn. And um, Professor Marcus Smith as well, who works for the University of Chichester and done a lot of work with um, Clem from, uh, who Clem Burke, amazing drummer, and into how drumming can kind of help you and your um, mental health, your physical ability and such. So, yeah, it was daunting, but I also had these amazing people around me who were, you know, determined to get me through the hard training. And the training was hard, but it was all worth it. And the hardest thing was learning to speak and drum and listen to, you know, talk back. Because I was presenting this 24-hour chat show in all essence with open talk back, you know, as if I was in a TV studio and also having to speak and drum at the same time. That was weird. It was a lot of things going on <laughs> at the same time. And it probably changes the way you think doing other bits of presenting. That, that Having that experience, you probably subconsciously adapted now to the style in which you present. Yeah, I think you're right there. I think it's definitely kind of made me more um, able to to take on different things, you know, and I, I, I don't worry as much about things. And I think, yeah, well, I can probably do that. Or if I can't do it, listen, I'll give it a go because we're not here on this planet very long. And I think that if you want to do something, you've just got to do it. Just give it a go. Because if you sit there and think about doing it one day and not doing it, you're going to regret it, aren't you? And I think the drumathon kind of gave me that that kind of push. I've always been quite. I don't like to be idle, you know. I like kind of. 
I like working. I like doing things. I, I'm not one to just sort of sit down and, and not do anything. I find that quite tricky. And so, yeah, when you then learn even more kind of <laughs> tools, I guess, in order to multitask even more, oh, Sam, you should see me cleaning the house now, honestly. I could do it so quickly. <laughs> it's great. It's, it's your, your brain adapts, doesn't it? And in everything that you do, mm. like I'll be chatting to people now who who I haven't seen for a while. And because I've done presenting, I'll find myself doing a presenter voice with them. And I'm like, oh, hang on. I've got to claw that back and talk normally to them rather than because there's ways in which you talk, isn't there? Oh, definitely. And I've tried to. And I think actually this is one of the things that has really helped me. Because when I first started presenting, uh, when I left school, I didn't I didn't want to be a presenter. You know, I didn't want to be on the TV. Um, I was more interested in the behind the scenes element. I was very interested in stage lighting, especially automated lighting. That was either that or drumming were the two things that I wanted to do. And I applied for a job with BBC Wales for a, as a kids presenter for this show they were kind of relaunching. It was a news programme and I had no experience really, but they wanted somebody who was exactly that. And what that kind of allowed me to do was, is to be myself really on screen. You know, of course, at the time there were things about myself that I wasn't open about, but me sort of coming out was a different thing. But as far as being able to get a bit of personality across, I think I've always felt like I've wanted to do that. And that's really helped me on my kind of um, presenting journey, if you can call it that. And you'll find a lot of people, presenters, anyone who wants to get into this industry, a lot of them will say that there was never the plan to get into this industry in the first place. So yeah. you, you said that you didn't want to be a presenter to begin with. Was there a point where you went, oh, no, actually, this is, this is really going to take off. I clearly can do something here that, that people resonate with. Uh, yeah, I think it was as I was, you know, still doing all of the presenting, I was presenting like a live news programme every day. And I did that for about 10 years from the age of 18. So I think I got to a stage then where live TV and kind of broadcasting in that capacity was just a thing that I did and, and a thing that I kind of enjoyed. But then the decision, if you like, to move away from news and then go into weather and then eventually now, you know, leaving weather in order to be a, a radio DJ and a more kind of general presenter. You know, I love property. I I love fashion. And of course, I love drumming and music and all of those things. So I think, yeah, there've been along the years, I've had to make decisions where I'm like, I'm going to have, I'm going to stop doing this now because I've done that. And I, I've been dipping a toe in this, so I want to do this. So, yeah, there definitely have been times where I've kind of made decisions on my presenting career, I suppose. But still then, I don't think I ever kind of just woke up a morning and thought, oh, my gosh, I'm a presenter. I'm good. Now I'm going to really, you know, go for it and be a presenter is what I want to do. It's just mm -hmm. been like a little wave. It's been it's been lovely, actually, Sam. Yeah. Do you think anyone you knew in school would have had any idea that you would have ended up doing what you're doing now? Uh, no, I, I don't think so. <laughs> it, it's a really good question, that, because I wasn't really the kind of boy to want to do those things. You know, I was Prince Charming, 
in Cinderella in year six. Poor Cinderella. Weren't we we all? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. That was the only kind of, I don't know, way that I was a performer, I guess. The rest of it was the drumming. So I think if people would have heard that I ended up being a session drummer, yeah, that might have been more in line with what I was interested in. Or if people learned that I was a, you know, lighting technician or whatever that was again more in line with my interests but I I just I love my job and I love with everything that I've done what I've loved about it is is you know if you can do something that makes people smile I suppose or you know makes them feel good for a minute that's great and being a weather presenter was definitely that you know you were able to have the little bit of personality into it without it sort of taking over obviously and that's what I've loved about radio presenting as well because you're there in people's car or people's lorry or you know if somebody's working in a hospital and there's a radio on there you're literally there with these people and I love that kind of companionship aspect of it I think. You're moving from being a weather presenter to a rather big job on BBC Radio talk Mm. to us a little bit more about that. Oh, it's just lovely. It's brilliant. I love presenting on the radio. I've done radio presenting, you know, on and off for the past like 10, 15 years in different capacities. And as far as being a DJ is concerned, you know, when I was about eight, nine or 10, around about that age, maybe a bit older, I remember asking my parents if they would buy me two turntables from Tandy's in Thanethi and a little mixing desk, you know, because I was really interested in DJing. And they did. And over the years then, I bought various bits and bobs, loads of disco lights, um, some of which I still have. And, you know, that was a very different type of DJ into what I'm doing now with Radio 2. But it just shows, I guess, that when you have got an interest in music, that that stays with you throughout your whole life really and we're all interested in music it doesn't matter what kind of job you have you don't have to work in the tv radio entertainment industry i suppose um but yeah i'm really excited to be taking over you know this show and also that it's coming from cardiff that is just incredible that i'm back in cardiff still doing a lot of work in london but you know very easy to get to from here but being home is the loveliest thing because you have if you're Welsh you've got this connection with Wales that I don't think you ever really shake and I didn't think I'd be back here doing a kind of network job so yeah it's it's going to be brilliant I can't wait it must be such an honor for you to follow in the footsteps of some you know amazing radio veterans you've seen the likes of Ken Bruce this week uh, announced that he'd be obviously switching to Greatest Hits Radio, but he's been doing that job for on BBC Radio 2, that particular show, for 31 years. So yeah. does it make you feel, we, this could be for the rest of my life? <laughs> <laughs> well, who knows? Who knows? People, I guess, you know, it, no matter what industry you work in, there's always going to be a kind of a job that you think, oh, I'd love that job. And having a job as a radio presenter is actually a thing that I've always kind of wanted and always thought I'd love to do that. And, you know, so many legends on on Radio 2 
Um, you know, I love listening to Scott Mills. I grew up listening to Scott Mills. I mean, that's going to make Scott sound like he's really old, which he's not, by the way. But, you know, I remember Scott on Radio 1. Adore Sarah Cox. She is just the, the most natural, hilarious presenter. And then, you know, you've got people like um, Claudia Winkleman as well, who just make up this lovely kind of cornucopia of of presenters on the programme. And going into Zoe Ball's show, which I love, and Zoe is just such a darling, it's really nice to be there as well. Because the kind of early morning thing is quite a special thing to me. And I don't know if it's because I've been doing early shifts or night shifts for a big old chunk of my career. And I kind of realised that just because you're getting up at, you know, 20 past three in the morning to do this job, you feel like you're the only person in the world awake at that time. But of course, that's the start of some people's day. It's the middle of some people's day. It's the end of some people's day. And those people vary with what they do. They could be taking their dog for a walk early, going to the gym, driving a lorry. You know, we have loads of lorry drivers listening and I love hearing from them because, you know, you're just on the road all day. And being able to kind of entertain and play a little tiny part in someone's day, um, I think is really special, especially at that time of day. Doing a job like the radio or presenting, you're always going to get critics of what you do and Mm. and you posted something to Instagram in November and myself like the majority of your followers were shocked by what they saw like what what was your initial reaction when you got that yeah I had a homophobic note sent to me in Media City in Salford which is where I worked at the time um, for BBC Breakfast the Northwest Tonight and uh, yeah, you know, it was just a kind of a letter, a handwritten letter. <laughs> I just think it's my, somebody take, took time out their day to write this thing, you know, and then shove it in the post and send it to me. Uh, you know, Sam, you, this thing is weird because you put, you, you, you put yourself out there because it's part of what you do. You know, you're on the TV, you're on the radio, you're on social media, whatever. And most of the time, the response and the kind of, reaction from people is just lovely and I feel very lucky to have had such a a lovely kind of group of people who have you know followed me around the different jobs I've done and I always try to reply to people when they send me messages Uh, but then of course you can't please everyone some people some people don't like the fact that I'm a camp man who's also a really good drummer or some people don't like the fact that I'm a gay man on their TV. Some people might just not even like my quiff. You know, there are various things that you can't please people with. But I've got to a stage now where I kind of think, well, when I was growing up, I didn't have gay people on the TV. You know, I didn't have uh, drummers who were gay. You know, not that I knew of anyway. But now I feel like I can kind of be myself and, yeah, I'll wear the flamboyant suits. I love a nice suit. And, you know, today, for example, I'm chatting to you in a blouse that's covered in little cats that are wearing bows. Iconic. Just <laughs> iconic. As a man who has a cat uh, wearing that, <laughs> do you know what? Where do you get it from? <laughs> well, I am a – and this ties into what we were just talking about, actually. I'm a massive fan of – vintage clothing and you know everybody says oh I love vintage but a lot of the time you 
you buy a vintage looking piece of clothing, but it could be a brand new thing. It's just styled in a kind of, you know, reflective way, like a 60s or a 70s look. But oh, I love nothing more than going to secondhand shops and charity shops and, you know, buying lights or buying clothes. And this is a uh, this is a charity shop purchase, as is the little necklace. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a blouse. It's a woman's blouse. And because a lot of the time, women's blouses are quite a bit cooler than men's shirts. You know, I don't think you can get a man's shirt that's got a, a kitten wearing a bow on it. And I think as time has gone on, I've just been able to be more comfortable in my own skin, really. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to wear these clothes because I like the look of them. I feel like we're at a point in society where what business is it of anyone else's to decide what you wear do you know what I mean yeah totally yeah 100 percent. and and I'm lucky you know I get loads of really nice comments on my clothes and people often ask me where they're from and I'm like well I never buy designer clothes I I never spend a lot of money on clothes but I do have a lot of clothes because I like buying secondhand things and I keep clothes you know I don't kind of throw away clothes in the same way as I did when I was a lot younger the sort of disposable fashion thing and I think that there's so much to be said about, you know, exactly as you just said there, just seeing something and thinking, oh, I like that. Let's see what it looks like on me. Let's put it on. If it looks terrible, don't buy it. If it looks good, chuck it in the basket. Exactly, Owen. And I think that is an attitude that lots of people should take having listened to this podcast. Um, but No, I hope so. This podcast now has to come to its conclusion. And we do oh. that always with two questions. Um, mm. The first question, if you had to give your younger self advice, if you were having a conversation with your younger self, what would you tell them? Oh, my gosh. Great question. I would tell them um, to not worry about time, that things happen when they're meant to happen and you can't rush things. And it's going to be all right, I guess. Yeah. The second question, what would you like to see happen next? Because you are literally the man who has slowly but surely <laughs> done it all. So what next? <laughs> well, that's very kind of you to say, Sam. Well, do you know what? I am just really excited to be starting the Radio 2 show. Um, I've loved doing more things along the property lines, you know, with Wales Home of the Year, which I absolutely loved filming really interested in property and renovation and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, and just to do things that I enjoy more, you know, more drumming, more things around, you know, maybe secondhand clothes, I don't know. Um, and perhaps even renovation kind of stuff. I'm renovating a house at the moment, so there's going to be a lot of that, definitely. But yeah, watch this space. Owen, thank you very much for having a chat with me. I cannot wait to see where your career goes next. It's growing from strength to strength. Good luck with the BBC Radio 2 show. Thank you very much. Oh, Sam. Lovely to see you as always. Take care. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of In the Spotlight. For more TV and showbiz news, subscribe to our newsletter on walesonline.co.uk. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for future episodes. Music.